Save big money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menards. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands, including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and Criterion. Upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at Menards. Shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. The advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Oh, my friends, good morning and welcome to Autism Live on the Autism Network. I just love that music that we're listening to um, that was created for us and that opener that was created top to bottom for us uh, by individuals who identify as being actually autistic, which we absolutely love. Uh, We're so thrilled to be here with you this morning and oh my gosh, have I got so much to talk about with you. Um, and, and thrilled to be here with you. We're live right now. It's Wednesday. It's the 23rd day of February, 2022. So we're one day past the 2222, uh, the 22222. There we go. It was Tuesday yesterday. <laughs> so I hope you all, uh, played your lottery tickets with the twos. I, nobody won if you did that because everybody was doing that. Right. But uh, well, maybe you won $5. I don't know. Anyway, I'm Shannon Penrod and excited to be here. I've got a lot that I want to say today, but I really want to hear from you. You know, I'm working on listening as much as I talk, which let's face it, that's a challenge for me, but I'm working on it. I'm saying good morning to Brody. Thank you for joining us. If you want to be writing in live to us right now, cause we love to talk to you live. Um, there are lots of different places that we're live right now. We're live right now on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, and about a dozen other sites. We'll podcast this later on. It'll be available as a free download wherever you get your podcasts. We are the number one rated autism podcast. We're thrilled to be that. We know that that is because of all of you, because you've liked, you've shared, you've commented, you've given hearts. Some of you have given us thumbs down. It's all good because we we want the dialogue to continue, right? Um, but please, you know, I especially love it when you guys, it's so meaningful when you guys review us on, good morning, Ka, uh, when you review us on iTunes, that certainly helps us to get to a broader audience because you probably notice we don't do advertising. I'd love to say that's going to change in the future and that maybe we'll, we'll get to the point where we're doing that, but thus far we don't. Hey, Esoteric, so thrilled that you're here with us this morning. Got a lot that's going on today. I got to tell you, every once in a while, we sort of, you know, we we do the regular show, but we pause for a second because I have something on my heart and my head, and basically my head needs to fly around the room a little bit. And I've got something a little bit later on that I need to go off on a little bit of a rant on, and and it'll all be clear later on. Uh, But first, we have business to take care of. I do want to remind you that we have uh, many experts who join us. Good morning from Windy, New Mexico. Is it windy there, Ambrosia? So thrilled that you're here. Um, we, we have experts who join us on the show. And, um, and I always like to remind you that I am not an expert. And that's a very important distinction for me to make. And people write in all the time and go, but Shannon, come on, you are an expert. And I always like to be very clear that, that I'm not. Now, over the years, I've been covering, listen, my son was diagnosed over 16 years ago, so I've spent 16 years trudging with all of you, this happy road of destiny. And uh, so I've learned a thing or three, I would hope, um, but I don't know everything. 
and I haven't learned everything and I haven't even interviewed everyone. I'm trying, I'm trying very hard to interview everyone. And I try to ask as many experts, as many questions as I possibly can. I've been doing that for well over a decade now. And so I do like to say that I have an informed opinion. I'm, I'm growing to see though, that there are some things that maybe I, maybe I have a window of expertise that other people uh, the uh, the isn't wide. You know what I'm saying? Other people have that expertise, but there's just not a lot of us. And, and I want to say that, you know what it's like when you have two friends that you love dearly and they're having an argument and you sit back and you go, I'm not going to involve myself in that because that's not my place. It's not where I'm going to go. They need to work it out amongst themselves, right? Because that's a sane place to be. But it gets to a point where you it really bugs the you-know-what out of you because you go, I can see both sides of this. And the scary thing is, is that they're both saying the same thing. It's just that they're not communicating well with each other, but they're both saying the same thing. And it starts to drive you, you know what, crazy. Um, well, I, today I, I've reached critical mass and, you know, sometimes when that happens with friends, eventually you sit down and you go, Hey, here's the deal. And you just come clean with both sides and go, why are you like, you need to talk to each other because you're on the same page. So today I'm going to, I'm going to do that talk. Um, I'm going to go off and, and say to the friends that I love, look, you're on the pa- same page. That's going to be a little bit later on. But Amelia, we're going to talk about non-functional routines first. Uh, and good morning, Nikki. And I'm so glad that you appreciate my perspective because you're going to get a, you're going to get a healthy dose of it. But I want to hear from you guys too. I want you guys to be a part of the conversation. I want you to write in. I want you to, to jump in with your opinions. Even if you're watching this later on in podcast, I'm sure some of the things I'm going to say are going to start a firestorm and I'm ready for it. Today I'm ready for it. Let's let's have discussion because I think with discussion comes growth. I learn and I want to learn. I'm curious and I want to know things I don't know because guess what? Nobody can be responsible for everything. I have a dear friend. Are you guys playing Wordle? We're all addicted to Wordle here at my house. And I have a friend who, uh, had a really hard time the other day getting a word and then said, man, I just, I feel, I feel kind of stupid because I didn't know this word. And I said, oh, well, you know, I mean, you can't know all the words, right? And she was like, yeah, but I, you know, I feel kind of stupid. And I said, there is no person on this planet that knows absolutely every single word and its meaning. So are we all stupid? And, and she was like, I guess I never really thought about that before. We can't know everything. And so if we come from a place of that, then there's room for all of us to grow. I can't possibly know everything. So I want to know your opinions. And, you, and I've learned from you guys. And I have changed my mind about things in the time that we've been doing this show for over a decade. There, you guys have written in and said things. And I've said, huh, I never thought about it that way before. I'm going to change my mind. And isn't that what growth is all about? So please feel free to change my mind. I am open to it. Um, and I hope that you're open to having your mind change too, because again, it's growth. All right. So um, anyway, I, but I'm not an expert in most things, but there's a couple of things where I've gained some experiential knowledge. We're going to say that. Can we, can we like say that? Okay. So please write in, please uh, stick with us because we're going to start out with, we're going to take care of some business first, because we do like to start the show with something we fondly referred to as the jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym. We try to figure out what in the hey, nani nani are the experts talking about? Hey, Jacob, it's going well. How about you? Uh, We want to know what are the experts talking about? Why do we care about these terms? I don't even think I need this today, Draven. I'm not even sure. Um, But uh, I don't know about you. I want to be effective. I want to be an effective ally because my son was diagnosed with autism and there was a time when he did not have a voice. And so I needed to help him um, partially by being his voice until he had a voice Um, but also to protect him and to help him to get access to services and to help him to grow. Right. But then as my son progressed and was able to tell us what his opinions were, which was the very thing we were working for, by the way, that was the promised land that we were trying to get to for him to be able to tell us 
and communicate with the world what he wanted. So when he could, I had to step back and take a different role and say, I am now an ally. I am here to support and I am here to listen. And when need be, I'm, you know, here to, to jump in. But part of being an ally is if you don't understand what the people are talking about, you can't be as effective, right? So we try to take these terms one at a time. First, we give you the actual definition. Sometimes I make fun of them. <laughs> Just gonna, you know, like, because sometimes that's all that's available. <laughs> is that like, can we please just make fun of this definition? Um, Cause otherwise there's no accessing it, but we always give you a working definition. We always try to get you to a point where you have a beginning understanding of what the thing is and why it might be important for you to learn more about it. That's really the thing. Be gentle with yourself. If you don't get it the first time, it is not because you are not smart. You're smart. These are hard concepts. And sometimes we need to learn it in a lot of different ways. We need to hear about it. So we're on the lookout for it, but then we need to see it. And then we need to see it again so we can compare and contrast, right? It's okay. Uh, but you'll get there eventually. So let's take a look at what today's jargon term is, because it's my understanding we've never done it before. We certainly have talked about, um, although I got to say, I don't really use this term a lot, but people do. And let's talk about why they do and why I don't. So non-functional routines. Doesn't it sound like an exercise class? Uh, that's what it sounds like to me. Non-functional routines. Uh, let's take a look at our actual definition um, and see what it says. Specified, sequential, and repeated actions or behaviors that a person engages in that outwardly appear to be senseless. Notice that it says outwardly appear. That doesn't mean that it is senseless, but this is what often the judgment is on non-functional routines right? So uh, I don't think there's anything to be made fun of here. I think what we need to be mindful of is that outwardly appear, which is not what things look like, is often not what they are. But think about that, specified, sequential, and repeated actions or behaviors. We talked about this pretty much the other day, right? Um, it's that repetitive and restrictive, but this is just another name for it, non-functional routines. But let's go ahead and move on to our working definition to see where I think we need to be. This is my opinion. Uh, behaviors such as lining up toys, splashing water, playing with string, uh, not stepping on certain colors, etc. Like the list is endless, right? These behaviors may not appear to have a purpose to a casual observer, but may in fact have deep significance for the individual engaged in the behavior. We see these kinds of behaviors frequently with an autism spectrum diagnosis, that someone uh, will have a, a repetitive routine that they will do. We talked about this the other day, that maybe they line up the cars and an outside observer looks at that and goes, well, that's not functional. That's not doing anything for them. They should be playing with the cars. And it becomes all very black and white. And I just want to say there's very little in life that's black and white, but let's put a black and white out there that makes sense. And, and we're going to talk more about this in a second. Behaviors don't happen for no reason. No behaviors happen for no reason. And especially if a behavior is, I'm taking it out. We don't need this. Especially if a behavior is repeated, if somebody is doing a behavior over and over, it has a purpose. You may not be able to see it. You might not be able to understand it. This does not mean that it does not have a purpose. Now let's talk about how functional the purpose is. So if I'm, and we talked about this the other day, if I'm doing something to calm myself down and I am someone who has never been taught techniques of how to calm myself down, it's possible that the thing that I go to to calm myself down is not really effective, but it's just effective enough for me that it takes the edge off. For instance, I am someone who, uh, you know, I eat. When I'm nervous, I eat. This is not really an effective way to deal with nerves, is it? It's not. And yet I spent a lot of years doing that and still occasionally will do that because it worked just enough 
and I didn't know other things to do, right? So I've learned that I can do other things and I have the ability now to make the choice to do other things. But for a lot of years, I wasn't even looking for a, a way to deal with it. I was like, well, the eating thing works now enough and I kind of like it, so I'm going to keep doing it, right? We all engage in things that have a purpose that sometimes aren't as effective at, at creating the, the desired thing that we want as we would think, right? If we can admit to that, all of us, then let's put it on looking at autism, that there are things that individuals with autism will do that are that serve a purpose for them. It might be to calm them down. It might be to help them to be present. It might just feel good. For for you know, if if we look at something like flapping hands, um, because that was something that my son would do is put his hands close to his eyes and do this. And as a parent, I remember looking at that and going, "What is that? What you know? What, oh, what is that? Right?" Um, and someone said to me you know, do it for a couple of minutes at exactly what it is that your child does and try to think to yourself, what might be the purpose for this? And I discovered, oh my gosh, there's so many things about doing this close to your eyes. First of all, if you're bored, it's something to do. Second of all, if you do it fast enough, you can see colors. Some people, you can see colors like seeing a rainbow. So if I'm bored and I want to do this and I see colors, right? For some people, this is very calm calming. For some people, this keeps them awake, right? It's not random. If we could just shove the idea that behaviors are random into the ocean, everybody, <laughs> right? All together, shove into the ocean. It's not random. Now, if we begin to look at it and go, what is, what is, you know, so what's the function of this behavior? And, and sometimes we're not going to know. Sometimes we got to like suss it out right? We got to put on our Sherlock Holmes hat and go, is the individual doing this when they're bored? Well, I don't really like for anybody to be bored. So is there something that we can have them to do that's even more beneficial for them that gets rid of the boredom? Um, you know, are, are they somebody who really loves to do a Rubik's cube and that they stay engaged in the Rubik's cube? And if they do it fast enough, they're seeing the colors and it, does that engage their brain in a different way than this? Now we're making minute judgments here, right? But I will tell you that if someone is so bored that they're only doing this and that's all that they want to do, it's going to be very difficult to teach them handwriting. And handwriting is a useful skill that we'd like to teach. So, you know, sometimes we want to mitigate some of these behaviors in order to teach other things and to give them other options. It is so important that we don't stigmatize this. So important that we don't stigmatize this. And it's so important that we don't go, well, we're just going to cut that out forever. Like we're just going to take scissors and cut it out of their life because it's not functional. That's really not where it's at. I love that Temple Grandin's mother, she wanted to spin that metal plate on the end of her bed and still says, oh, that's, that's enjoyable. Calming, you know, it's my scientific brain is doing all kinds of different things. I can, I can, you know, if I move it a certain speed, the, the colors that reflect on it, you know, she can give you the whole explanation of why it's still fascinating to her. And she's somebody who's gone on to write so many books, so many people done all of these things. And she says, I wouldn't have done all those things if my mother hadn't said, you can't sit there and do that all the time. Let's find other things that are enjoyable to you too. But her mother didn't say, there's no more spin in that plate. That's not happening. No more of that. She, But she looked at it, saw what's the function. Because some things you can't say, okay, you can do it an hour a day. Other things you can. Mom looked at it, said, I know you really like that. You can do that. But you also have to do other things because that was right for Temple and, and right for that behavior. Emily, I love the things that you're writing in. Uh, Emily says that, um, I know you said somewhere, you've written in a lot. Emily says, I got my diagnosis five weeks ago. Uh, I'm 41 and I've learned a lot about autism and how I can function better. Emily, we're throwing our arms around you. Uh uh, Emily goes on to say, my husband has to be my voice and I have to raise my voice. Uh, he, he knows 
I'm not sure. He knows very well what is. He is educated and working with uh, children and young people with autism. Well, isn't that convenient? I'm saying hello to Dawn. Good morning to everybody. Um, and Emily says, like stimming, people think that that's stupid and childish. You know, I, I know that there are people who think that, Emily, and those are people who are ignorant. Um, and, and we're going to, we're going to language it that way. They are ignorant. They don't understand that they also, everyone stims, everyone stims. Um, so that, that is ignorance when they think that that is childish or stupid. Uh, Emily went on to say, I line up, uh, cups in the kitchen and my angels in the living room. Uh, sometimes that just becomes a style choice, right? Uh, Ambrosia says, that's my son, but me also when things are not where they are supposed to be, you like it. You, everybody has different things, right? That we need in order to have order in our lives. Uh, and Emily says, I see colors when I hear music, you know, there's a name for that. I can't think of it right now. Isn't it Kina something? I'll come up with it later. Um, okay. Uh, uh, DeWall. Yes. Please ask questions here. Um, I see your question and ask another one. Okay. So when, when we're thinking about, I, I mean, the non-functional behaviors makes me mad because if we come with the premise of all behaviors have a function, then how can there be a non-functional behavior? So I want us to start thinking about, but is the function like really efficient? Cause we can, we can come up with a behavior that's even more efficient and that's really where it's at. Okay. Moving on, we always have a question of the day. And our question for you today, da, 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 and you can be writing in on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter. We love to hear your answers to the question. Our question today is what ritual do you have that others don't like? What are the things that you do that other people are not super happy about? I got to tell you, I'm, I run OCD, right? Uh, I have good days and I have bad days with my OCD and, um, my husband and my son are very patient with me about my OCD, but sometimes, you know, like they have days where they're less tolerant too. Cause we all do. Um, there are some days when I can handle certain things and other days where I can't. And for them, it's hard to know, like, is today a day when she can deal with this? And, oh, my husband can tell you, I, I've got all kinds of rules. So all kinds of rituals. Uh, and I'm a little bit of a germ phobe. So, um, you know, it's, uh, I got lots of rituals that people don't like, but what rituals do you have that people don't like? And, and let's have an awareness of the fact that it's important to you. Uh, it's a ritual to you because it's important to you, but that doesn't mean that it's just open acceptance from other people. Because sometimes our rituals rub up against other people's rituals and it's like, oh, that's not going to work, right? And we just have to be cognizant of that and have a little bit of understanding about it. Um, but write in, tell us what your rituals are. Okay, let's move on to our topic of the week. Dun, da, da, da. We talked about this on Monday that it's uh, important to think about who are you listening to? Who are the influences in your life? Who is writing part of your story for you? Because we all have people that we go to, that we listen to, that we trust, and that we have, have been our people in a storm, our port in a storm. And people have different things that they're good at, right? Here's what I know about when autism enters your life. It, this might change this might shift a little bit. It's like the tectonic plates, right? And something, uh, something changes because there are people who know you and love you and feel that they're an expert in you and your life and perhaps your family's life. Right. And then autism comes along and they're still going to apply the same set of things that they knew about you for before to now. And sometimes we need to learn new things. And it's very hard for people who feel they have ownership of you, that you're someone that they love dearly. And now there's something new that they don't completely, that they're not up to speed on. And I'm going to tell you, it's going to go like this because they're still going to give you advice. And I love somewhere there is a, there is a meme, you know, those e-cards that say, if you don't understand uh, the following terms, IEP, BIP, SLP, uh, ESY, 
BCBA, ABA, uh, DOA, you know, uh, DAR. If you don't understand all of these terms, then please keep your opinions about my child with autism or myself with autism to yourself. Because if you don't know all of those things, your opinion isn't entirely valid. And that is whole. You know, your mother-in-law is not going to understand that. Your mother-in-law is not going to be someone who is like, oh, I, I'm going to cease to have an opinion about my grandchild just because you got a diagnosis with autism. But you do have to be careful. Who are you listening to? Because sometimes people, well-meaning people, will give you advice that is not helpful or useful to you in your journey. So we're just going to enter that into conversation here. Who are you listening to? Is it somebody that you should be listening to? Emily, you're listening to your husband. I love that. Uh, oh, and thank you uh, for sending me a hug for the OCD. Unfortunately, because it's COVID right now, I can't take the hug. <laughs> you know what I mean? My OCD would not allow that, but I'll virtually take it. How's that? Uh, uh, yes, Ambrosia. The uh, Ambrosia says, I love that. I need to start learning to tell people no you don't get it. And I, I have to tell you, one of the biggest phrases that I learned early on is other people's opinions of my parenting is none of my business. Woo! What? Other people's opinions of my parenting is none of my business. That is a hard one for me. I gotta, I gotta own it on a regular basis, but that is the truth. Um, later we're going to talk about, I have a book coming out. That's a big part of the book. There's two chapters in the book with the same title. Uh, other people's opinion of my parenting is none of my business. Uh, but it's some of the best advice I can give you. Ka says, yes, I have the people I had in my life pre-diagnosis of my son. And then I have my new friends that have children on the spectrum that I feel safe with to discuss my son. Yes. Yes. But it's hard because you're not always sure who to listen to and what to listen to. So we always have to be weighing. And you, you, you check in with yourself, with your gut, and you check in with your head and say, how does this make me feel? Is this person helping me? Like, you know, can I get through my day when I hear this? Or is this slowing me down? Because when stuff's slowing you down, you got to put those rocks down and go, I'll come back for you maybe later, maybe, um, and let it go. Thomas! I'm so excited that you're here. We got to get you back on the show, Thomas. Uh, I've been seeing you've been creating firestorms, Thomas. I, I, if you guys have, have not checked out, make sure that you're following Thomas McKean. Thomas, I'm excited for you to be here for this next little foray that we're going to go in because, you know, sometimes you come out strong and you say things and, and I've been sitting on the fence about a couple of things, but I'm, I'm coming out strong today. I just, after a whole bunch of things that uh, one person in particular wrote to me over the last couple of days, uh, I was like, I just, I, I just got to go here. So uh, I'm going to go there. Uh, I, my, my next little talk that I'm going to be doing, and I even made a little bit of a PowerPoint presentation so that you wouldn't have to just look at my ugly mug the whole time. I uh, now would like to talk about ABA, the good, the bad, and the ugly. This is what I would like to talk about. And I want to, and I'm, I'm being a little cutesy here, but I'm dead serious about this because I've sat on the fence for a while and, and watched as I, I see the ABA world trying to, uh, trying to talk about this. And I see self-advocates talking about this. And this is what I was saying earlier. When you have two friends that you love dearly arguing about something and, and you want to, and you're looking at it from someplace in the middle and going, but you're both saying why don't you realize you're both saying the same thing? So I'm going to 4 a.m. Uh, right now. Uh, and, oh, Thomas, it's such a bummer. You can't stay, but maybe you can watch it later on. Uh, <laughs> you got cookies with a pretty lady. Well, Thomas, go do that. Uh, do check it out tonight. Uh, <laughs> Nicole, yes, this is an ugly, ugly mug. Um, I am one, says my family hates me because of autism. They think it's a mental illness and gaslight me and mock me to death and expose me and exploit me. And I am one. I want to welcome you to your new family, your family of choice. You have your, your biological family and then you have your family of choice. And you have a, a community here who loves you exactly the way you are. Okay. Um, anyway, 
So let's get back to this. ABA, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because I want to say that surrounding ABA right now, we have a plethora of all three of these, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I think it's important to address them and to call them out and let's get it all out in the open and, and so that we can all land where we land. I want you to have your opinion where you land, but I want it to be opinion based on facts, not on conjecture, not on hyperbole. Okay. Um, so let's talk openly about all of these things. So first of all, and I, I think I have control of my own slides. This is so exciting. Uh, I want to say there, are, I can give you a million definitions of ABA and some of them are convoluted, but I want to start with the very basic concept that ABA is a teaching technique. Yes, uh, the ABA professional is like, but that doesn't cover it all because ABA is a science-based, yes, 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 yes. It is based on science. And we're going to talk about what some of the basic tenets are. But you know what? As a parent, that's not unimportant to me. I want it to be based on science. I want to know that you've researched it. I want to know that it works for individuals. But you know what? Can I be honest with all of you? I don't give a flying fig about that if it's not good for my child. You can tell me that something is the most scientifically researched, uh, you know, and that it's effective. But if it makes my child feel bad about himself, then I don't care about it. Right? Isn't that the truth? Can we all acknowledge that, you know, yes, science is important and we want to hear the science about it. But what's more important to me is, does it actually help my child? And, you know, I want to know that it's effective, but in being effective, does it put my child in, child in danger or does it make my child feel bad about themselves? Because if it does, I don't want it, right? And I want ABA professionals to hear that because I think that's a piece that they don't address often enough. And we'll talk about in a second, the fact that a lot of people are saying negative things about ABA, uh, a lot of people. And, and, and we're going to talk about those things, but I need for everybody to understand that there is a much wider conversation. Uh, okay. So it is a teaching technique. That is what ABA is. It is a teaching technique. And if you are saying I'm anti-ABA, then be careful that you are not saying I am against teaching, right? Because teaching, look, all individuals on this planet have the ability to learn and have the right to learn. We can talk about how you apply the technique. We can talk about how you make people feel when they're doing the technique. We can talk about if what you're teaching is valid, but teaching itself, if we start saying that teaching is bad, then we are in very scary territory, my friends. So baseline here, ABA is a teaching technique. Okay, now moving on here. Uh, let's talk about... And can I also say that ABA is a teaching technique that is not just for autism. Um, ABA has been around longer than, um, than ABA has been around longer than, uh, than the term autism has been around and ABA is used wide variety of scenarios, teaching scenarios. In fact, we all just saw a huge, uh, thing that is evidence of ABA and that was the Olympics that many people that were competing at the Olympics are coached with the principles of ABA. I know, not something that's widely talked about. And yet I always try to bring it up um, because it's important. They have coaches, they have coaches that are working with them behaviorally to get the best performance and they're using the techniques of ABA. So ABA was not invented for autism. It was much later on that it was discovered that, oh, ABA is also effective for autism. And there's been this huge movement because it was shown that it was wildly effective if it was done in the right ways. So let's talk about some basic principles about ABA. If we're saying, okay, it's a teaching technique and that some people don't like it, hmm, why would that be? Why wouldn't we like a teaching technique? Well, let's talk about what ABA really is. Um, and these are like the four principles. There's many principles, but these are the four that I really want us to focus on because it's often the, you know, this is the area in which people get foot about ABA and go, well, I don't like it because, 
And I'm like, yeah, but that's what you're saying is not ABA. So ABA follows, first of all, the PREMAC principle, which the PREMAC principle says that if, if you are rewarded for doing something, then you're more likely to do it in the future. So if I just ask you to walk over and pick up a dish, right? And there's nothing in it for you. There's nothing personal rewarding for you. You might go and do it the first time, but you're less likely to keep going and picking up the dish because there's nothing in it for you. However, pre-MAC principle says that if I make it worth your while, if I give you some sort of reward for going and picking up the dish, then you're more likely to do it more. So let's go back to the Olympic athletes. If they're going to teach them how to jump further, it means they're more likely to, to, to do whatever behaviors it takes to jump further if they get some sort of a reward for it. And every single Olympic coach uses the pre-MAC principle, right? Notice that I I'm going to punish you or shame you or whatever into doing the behavior. I'm giving you something that's meaningful to you for doing the, for learning the behavior I'm asking you to learn. So this is powerful, powerful stuff. Former school teacher here. If I'm trying to get seventh graders to learn how to write an essay, what seventh grader wants to learn how to write an essay? I got to get in there and I got to make it really exciting for them. I got to give them rewards for getting it. I got to praise them. There are some teachers who go in and and throw candy at their students. I hated that because you'd have them, their attention for 15 minutes, but then you would lose them to the sugar haze, right? Because things have a consequence, but you try to give them a reward. Now, some of the kids, the A for doing the assignment is enough of a reward, but a lot of the kids, it's just not. So you know, it's absolutely key. Pre-MAC principle says it has to be rewarding to the individual. So you have to look at them as individuals before you can do the pre-MAC principle. So it's individualized. ABA has to be individualized. Okay. Second principle of ABA is that behaviors have a function. So ABA says it's not random. That everything that person is doing, they're doing for a reason. Don't we all want to hear more of that? When we were just talking about the non-functional behaviors, weren't we all like, yes, you're lining the toys up for a reason. It may not be the most functional thing to get your need met, but it has a function. And the principle of ABA says it absolutely has a function. And if we, if we want to teach someone, we know, need to know what the function of the behavior is that they're doing so we can give them a more effective way of doing it. We don't just rip it out right? Basic principle of ABA is that generalization is key. So I can't just teach you how to do it here. If I'm going to teach you how to do something, I have to teach you in a way so that later on when we're done teaching that you know how to use this in all different kinds of scenarios, that that's absolutely key. Um, And one of my favorite principles of ABA is that the student is never wrong. It's never their fault. If I taught the student something and they didn't learn it, it is not the student's fault. I need to change my, and by the way, it's not my fault either, but I need to change my teaching technique. Basic principle of ABA, student is never wrong. If learning isn't happening, we change the teaching technique. Now, is there anything that I've said here that makes anybody nervous? Well, pre-MAC principle should make you a little bit nervous because if it's used incorrectly, it can be a pretty bad thing, right? If you're rewarding someone um, for doing a behavior that really is not good for them, that would be a pretty bad thing, right? So used incorrectly, that's the one that I would be concerned about. But used correctly, great teaching technique, and we all use it all the time because it's really, really effective. So these are the basic principles of ABA. Now, let's take a second here and talk about ABA for autism and how that came to be. Um, That many years ago, a group of people, starting with Ivar Lovas, decided to look at ABA and see if it could be effective at teaching individuals with autism. And after several attempts, they found that the earlier you start and the more intensively you, you go, the better the results were. Let me say it again. 
the earlier you start and the more intensively you go, the better the results were. But they found that it was wildly effective, wildly effective. Um, and, and I do want to say that, you know, they learned and, and where, where they, what they learned when they came out with the first study in 1987 versus what they know now about how to make ABA effective. Woo! So much, so much more effective now than what they were doing back then. But even in 1987 with what they knew it was effective, but are they doing all the same things that they did in 87? No because they found, oh, that doesn't work. We don't like that. That doesn't, you know what I'm saying? They learned. Can we stop thinking that people are static? I have learned in the 10 years that I am here. So when I hear somebody says, well, oh, you know, Ivar Lova said this in 1962. I'm like, okay, all right. I hear that. But did what did Ivar Lova say later on? Right. Like, I, I just don't think that we can be static ourselves and we shouldn't assign that to other people. So by the this is a picture of me with my son. Yes, that's what I used to look like when I had brown hair. And I want you to see that that is me hanging on to my son. And almost every picture that you see of me at, at this age, I'm a hunchback um, holding on to my son because we were by water. And if I had not held on to him, he would have run into that water. So we were in a place where, uh, and we are happy and smiling and he's already had a little bit of therapy at this point. And so he's looking at the camera, um, and, and I'm thrilled that I can be there with my child and by hanging on to him, he doesn't go into water because in a time when that would not even have been true. Uh, I found out about ABA and I said no to it because a, a, a doctor, uh, um, a developmental pediatrician that told me that it will, would turn my child into a robot. And she told me that my child would be tortured. Now, if you know me, you know that that's not happening. Nobody's turning my child into a robot and nobody is torturing my child. Not only not on my watch, not over my dead body. And I will, I will find a way to come back and haunt you. You know what I'm saying? That was not happening. So I said no to ABA because I listened to that expert an expert, a developmental pediatrician who was the one who diagnosed my son. And then one day I went to a house of a family and I saw their child and, and I was so jealous of the, their life and their, their family and you know, what they had in the fact that, and I assumed that this child did not have autism. And then they told me, no, that that child had autism and that they were doing early intensive ABA. And I said, turned them into a robot and they gave me information about ABA and good quality ABA. And they talked with me about intensity and they talked to me about what we were going to be looking at and they filled me with hope. And so that was how we started ABA. And I lucked out because I was with really good ABA, good quality ABA. I lucked out because I knew to ask for intensity. We had to fight for it. We had to fight for it with like, you know, just all of our might um, but we ended up getting intensive, good ABA. Um, and like a lot of people, we found that that was great for us. And the more I learned, the more we were able to do it, not just 40 hours a week, but around the clock. Um, and we learned to recognize good ABA and how to do good ABA ourselves. And it was life changing. And there are many studies and this was what we followed. We followed the science, but I also followed the other families and what was happening in my living room. So I, I offer up to you, this is the good, right? I said, I, I promised that we were going to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. That when there is intensity, when there is good quality ABA, good things happen. I love that Dr. Doreen Grampiche always says, if you do enough of the right things often enough, good things will always happen. And I certainly followed that with our son. We had hard days and we worked, we all worked really hard. My son worked the hardest, um, but his team also worked hard. And my son went from being someone who was considered nonverbal to someone who graduated with honors from high school last year and is now a college student with absolutely no supports. Um, 
going to college and he is going to the college that he chose. He got into six different colleges. Um, so I want you to know that that's the good, right? And that everyone finishes in a different place. But I also want you to know that um, my son has good self-esteem, that he does not feel like there is anything that is wrong with him. He does not feel like he had to change to be something for somebody else. And I would never have allowed that. I would never have allowed that. So this is the good. And this is the good that can come. And by the way, we have lots of friends that did ABA in different ways or didn't choose to do ABA. I'm not saying that everybody, I used to say everybody should give ABA a chance. I'm done saying that because if you really don't want it, then you shouldn't. Uh, but I'm anyone, anyone can with good ABA, absolutely anyone. You're going to learn at a different rate. You're going to learn different things because we're all individuals. And we already talked about the pre-MAC principle starts with you got to look at the person as an individual, right? And everybody learns at a different rate. But everybody that I know that did good quality, intensive ABA had big results. Everybody's results were different. Don't hear me wrong. Everybody's results were different. There were some kiddos that we know that they finished their program years before my son did, that they didn't have to spend as much time. And they're off at college this year too. There are kiddos that we know that got started later and had more to catch up and had to do years beyond. And there are kiddos that we know that didn't get the full 40 hours and that the parents are now like, I just don't feel like we got the result that you did. Well, I, I hear that. But you also weren't able, and it's not no fault of theirs, they weren't able to do the amount said in the beginning, intensity, do enough good things, often enough good things happen, right? So um, so this is the good. Now, before we run out of time, I promise to go over the bad and the ugly. Uh, I see a question though. Shannon, uh, question please. Do we have to reward small behaviors? For example, hold on, you guys are writing in a lot of stuff. Uh, for example, if I ask my son to take his plate to the, the sink after eating, wash his hands before eating, et cetera. Well, until the behavior maintains itself on its own, yeah, you do need to reward it. <laughs> and, and I know it feels exhausting because uh, like, oh man, my day is full of rewarding my child for good behavior. Uh, that is the promised land, my friends. Uh, if that is your day, woo, like let's all celebrate, right? But it is exhausting because you got to get in the habit of it. And it does mean a mind shift. And, and what we want to do is in the beginning, praise might not do it, but let's pair praise with whatever the reward is. So whatever is meaningful to your child. So if, if hugging your child is meaningful or some kids like to have their, their hair ruffled or tickled a little bit or squeezed, whatever. So if, if that's what you're, if that's what it takes to get your child to carry their plate to the sink, do it, have them take the plate to the sink and stop for a second, give them the squeeze and go, good job. You will find yourself saying good job over and over and over. That's the hallmark of when I, when I go, Oh, ABA is happening here. When somebody's like, good job. Some parents do the <coughs> good job and the high five, excuse me, but pair the praise with whatever is meaningful to the child and do it like in the beginning all the time, because then he gets in the habit of taking the plate to the sink. Then later on, you can do the slot machine technique where you don't praise every time. Maybe you praise every other time to maintain it. And eventually you get to the point where, you know, you're on to praising something else. Okay. But, but if your life, if every day you got up and your whole day is filled with praising your child for all the little things, this is not a bad situation. It's just going to feel false and foreign for a little while. And then it's going to feel like, wow, my life is good. So embrace it. Uh, okay. So I'm talking about the bad here, right? Let me ask you something. And I, and I forgive me because when I talk about bad things, I give you cute pictures of animals because I, I you know, what am I going to do? Put a picture of a screaming child up here. This is not going to make anybody happy. So we're going to talk about bad things, but I'm giving you a picture of a very cute puppy while we talk about it. Let me ask you something. Have any of you raise your hand at home? Have any of you ever been in a classroom with a teacher who, you know, did something that you, that like you have some level of upset or trauma over raise your hand. 
right? Have you ever been with a teacher who was mean to you? Raise your hand. Have you ever had a negative experience in a classroom? I think the vast majority are raising your hands right now, right? Are we happy about that? No. Are we, do we find that acceptable? No. I'm an ex-teacher and I don't believe in allowing that to happen in a classroom. So I want to be abundantly clear with you. It's not okay. But let me ask you this. Why haven't we said we should shut down the education system? We should stop school. In fact, let's stop education right now because all of us have something in common. At some point while we went to school, we had a negative experience. So you know what? Education is bad. Teaching is bad. School is bad. Shut it all down. You had a bad experience in third grade. Well, third grade, I'm sorry, is terrible. It's unconscionable. Let's shut that thing down. Why don't we? You know why? Because we have a wider experience. We know that bad stuff happens, stuff that's inappropriate happens, and it's on a continuum of stuff that is like, whoo, not okay. None of us are accepting this, but we don't say shut it down because we know that there's good experience with third grade teachers too. So we're not going to shut all of third grade down. We have an understanding as a society that there are some teachers who are bad and there are some teachers who are good. And there is a smaller group of teachers who are phenomenal, but even the phenomenal teachers sometimes have bad days and you understand that. And I understand that. And we have an acceptance of that. So here we have ABA, which is a teaching technique. And are all people who do ABA brilliant? No. Are all people good? No. Are there some people who are not upholding the tenets of ABA and purporting themselves to be ABA people? Yes. Have bad things happened? You betcha. Am I upset? Absolutely. Do I think it's okay? Do I to be more regulation? Yes. Do I think that parents need to be vigilant and watch what's happening when their kids are getting any kind of education from every, and that's the soccer coach and the third grade teacher and the teacher's aide and the speech teacher and the ABA professional? You betcha. We need to be vigilant about everyone and look at how they're treating our children and, and how they're making our children feel about themselves. Everyone. But there are so many self-advocates that are out there that have a story about ABA that's negative. And you know, if you watch this show, that I am never about silencing that. That is their story. They have a right to tell their story. I stand in solidarity with them. That they do not deserve the treatment that they got, that it was not appropriate. Absolutely. This is bad stuff. And they have a right to speak out and they have a right to state their opinion. My problem is that then we, we, we somehow migrate over to the ugly that we're going to talk about in a second, where people start to say, well, then all ABA is bad. And this is problematic for me because I feel like that that comes from a place of not having that global understanding that we all have that, well, okay, you had a third grade teacher who was horrible like had to go to jail horrible, right? But we didn't say let's stop third grade because we understood that not all third grade teachers are like that. And here's the thing, there aren't enough people who understand that all ABA is not like that. This is where my expertise is. I happen to know because it was in my home for five years. And I saw people who were phenomenal and I saw people who were good and I fired a few people who were bad. I'm not disavowing the bad. I'm saying it's there, just like I'm saying it's there with the third grade teachers, but it's not everyone. And we cannot throw out good teaching because there are some bad people doing it. And we also cannot try to act like the bad isn't there. And we cannot turn away from people who have had a bad experience and tell them you are not entitled to tell your story. We have to allow them to tell their story. We have to, but we must not then paint the entire thing with the same paintbrush because then we get into the ugly. And we have another cute picture for you. Isn't that koala cute? He's not ugly. 
Uh, but we got to talk about what's really ugly here because remember I said at the start of the show, who are you listening to? Uh, we have some amazing people who, as I said, self-advocates who are telling a story of something that happened to them with ABA and we cannot turn away. We cannot disavow that. But we have other entities that then take that and amplify that. And they say to parents, oh, well, you need to know. Bah, 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 bah. And I want to ask you, here we get into the ugly. What's the motive for that? What is the motive for that? Can I tell you, and this is where it gets really emotional for me, and I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant. When my son started ABA, we didn't have insurance funding for ABA. You had to fight tooth and nail and you had to live in a state that got it. And even then you had to fight tooth and nail to get ABA. And if you were lucky, there was not, there were not shows telling you, oh, you should be doing 40 hours of ABA. Um, like it was an underground thing that parents were whispering it to each other and going, oh, not many people know. And yet there were more kids who were making more progress back then than there are now. What's wrong with that picture? What happened? I'll tell you what happened. Money money got involved. That's what happened. And now insurance companies, it got to the tipping point, you guys, where so many kids made so much progress that insurance could no longer say, we're not paying for ABA. Why? Because before, when there weren't as many kids that they could say, look at how much progress they made with ABA, um, there were, insurance kept on saying, well, we don't have to fund things that are considered experimental. There's not enough evidence to show that it widespread would do good. So we don't have to do this. But then all of a sudden there was enough evidence and people started taking insurance companies to court and they started winning cases for millions of dollars and billions of dollars. And all of a sudden then insurance companies one by one and states one by one mandated and now money was involved. And listen, ABA is expensive. I said it has to be done intensively to, and early to, to have the best result. And intensively is expensive. And parents couldn't afford it. And even states could not afford it. Insurance companies can afford it, but they don't want to. If you don't think it cuts into their profit mar margin, think again. And so insurance companies started ABA, but they did not make it easy. And they also started a little campaign on the side where suddenly, you know, people who were on the spectrum who had these negative stories about ABA suddenly had forums in which to talk more freely about it and post more freely that, you know, other people had created. So I ask you, who are you listening to? And why are they sending you the messages that they're sending you? When I hear somebody says, I have a child who's three years old and, and was diagnosed with autism and my insurance company gave me 40 hours, but we ended up doing 20 and I ask why, and I hear all kinds of stories about how, you know, well, there weren't more hours available. That certainly is a story. Um, but then what happens is that you get a year down the road. And by that point, the parent realizes, oh, my child needed 40. And the insurance company says, oh, but you didn't use it. <sighs> it makes me have chest pains, y'all. Um, this is uh, a conversation that, you know, we can have in depth, but I am saying to all of you that even at this point, a lot of ABA prov providers have, I'm going to say this and people are going to lose their minds. I feel like they've given up on the notion of following the actual science because the actual science said intensive and early is what works. Insurance has made it so problematic for ABA companies to be able to provide the intensive and early that some ABA providers have given up. They're not even going to tell you about 40 hours because they don't believe that they can provide it for you. And they don't believe that you're going to be willing to do it. And no one is out there screaming loudly and saying to parents, here's what you're giving up when you give this up. It makes me so mad that I'm having blood pressure problems because <laughs> this is the ugly. This is the ugly that people are taking advantage of self-advocates and their stories. 
and they are taking advantage of parents and our, our children are being denied what rightfully they should be getting. That is the ugly. And I, I hope that as you move into the world and talk about ABA, that there are some things that you will consider. I know I'm almost out of time. We're going to go a little bit late, Draven. Uh, I want you to be mindful that there is good ABA and there is bad ABA. And if you're going to do ABA with your child and if you're going to put your family through the intensiveness, which is like getting an Olympic athlete ready. You should know what some of the good hallmarks of ABA. So first one is intensity. If you have a child who's under the age of five and they're not talking to you about 40 hours, I want you to get in their face and ask them why and ask them if it's a money related question or if it's their failure to be able to staff. And we need to hold ABA uh, companies accountable. I'm just going to go there. Okay. Second one is that they better be focused on, you know, I'm saying they should be talking about 40 hours, but here's the the asterisk here is it's got to be focused on the individual. Ask them if they're saying less than 40 hours, there's a possibility that your child, maybe your child only needs 35. You know, uh, we, we know what the guidelines are, but they need to be talking about the individual. But when they start talking about 20 hours for anybody who's under the age of five, I reject it because it's not intensive, but, but it has to be individualized. They have to individualize the lessons. And if it it feels like a cookie cutter run, because this is not a puppy mill. This is a very precise science. That's about the individual, right? How about this? The clear focus on reinforcement. If you do not see that they are regularly checking in with what your child likes and what makes your child happy, and giving it to them, then you are with the wrong ABA provider. If they are not teaching you, the caregiver, everything they know and saying, we want to do sessions with you to ask you, what do, what do you want your child to do? And teaching you about it, wrong ABA provider. They need to be teaching you. Ask one of the best things I can tell you, if you want to see if somebody is a good ABA provider, is say to them, what is it that you want to teach my child? And when they say, oh, we're going to be working on potty training, then say to them, and how will you be working on generalization? Just say that and watch their reaction. If they don't immediately come back with an answer of how they're going to plan for your child to be potty trained in every single toilet in the world, wrong ABA provider. Wrong ABA provider, because too often we see ABA providers who teach the child how to do something at the center or home and they can't do it at school or they could do it at school and they can't do it someplace else. If they don't know and are planning for generalization from word one, no, they're not the right one. How about a willingness to change techniques to suit the individual? Now, I'm not talking about changing their schedule so that they're doing around your work schedule. Hear me when I say that. Make your child as available for the hours that they have available at the center. You wouldn't ask the ballet company to work around your work schedule for when they teach classes. Don't ask an ABA provider to, right? But if they're teaching your child how to do something and your child, and they, you know, you've been trying it a certain way and your child isn't learning, they have to be willing to change how they teach. This is what we said at the beginning, basic principle of ABA. The child is never wrong. The adult is never wrong. The student is never wrong. It's you got to be willing to change your teaching techniques, which is also flexibility and approach, right? Uh, It has to be a team approach and you better be on the team. If you're the parent, you better be on the team and don't let them vote you off of the team, right? Everybody has to talk together, which is all part of that communication. I think this is the number one problem that ABA providers have that they, communication is hard. It's just hard. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard. But keep saying to them, communicate with me, communicate with me. Um, And then you got to communicate back with them, right? And if they don't put the dignity of your child somewhere at the top of the list of everything, then don't, you know, if they're saying, well, this is the way we, it's, you know, we're totally taking away the child's dignity, um, but that's the way they're going to learn. BS. That is not a part of ABA. That is not even basic ABA. That's not a part of it. Certainly not a part of quality ABA. So these are some guidelines. And I, I charge all of you to go out there and share any part of this presentation with your ABA provider. There are some amazing ABA providers out there and that have not lost their way, that are doing amazing work, that these things on this list are just Tuesday. 
That is just Tuesday to them. And there are other people who go, well, we're not able to do that. And you know what? Then don't be with them. Go someplace else. If we don't rise up and fight for this as, as individuals on the spectrum, as parents, um, you know, if we don't all come together on this, because here's the other part of it, you guys, I love me some self-advocates and I try to listen and they say, we need to be treated like individuals. We need to have dignity. We need people to help us to learn the things that we need to learn. We need, you know, more resources. These are the things that I hear. And I have my ABA friends over here who are like, we, you know, we're treating people like individuals. We, we want to help teach them and give them resources. We want to make sure that they have dignity and the ability to say no. They're all saying the same thing. My friends, we need to come together on this. And in the, in the middle are the parents. And if we don't start telling other parents, do this and hold ABA providers accountable and hold that insurance company accountable and hold our politicians accountable, then we're going to lose everything. The next generation of kids, they're already saying, oh, ABA isn't effective. We, we don't have the number of kids doing as well anymore. Hmm. I wonder why, because none of the kids are getting that intensity and this list right here. Of course, we're not seeing the same results. They're slowly working themselves into saying not every child should get ABA. And then where are we going to be? Because somebody's going to be there saying, I would like ABA for my child. And they're going to be told, no, not on our watch. Uh, Jewel, yes, we are all finding our way through this very difficult journey. Um, okay, I, I see that there are a lot of comments and I'm going to take a second um, to go through those. But we're out of time and we went way over. I adore you all. Thank you for being here. Please, if there's something that rang true for you and uh, this, please share it. Share it with your ABA provider. Share it with a family that you know. Share it with somebody who needs to hear this because they're not understanding how they're being manipulated negatively to cheat themselves or their child out of good quality ABA. Let's spread the word, all right? We are back tomorrow with Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. We've got two amazing guests who are going to be joining with, uh, with us, a self-advocate who decided to run for his uh, community school board and won. So we love that. We're going to be talking uh, with Kirk about that. And then we've got an amazing mom for Autism Family Portraits, Carrie Mallory Thompson, who is a favorite on the show. She's going to be joining us as well. And Nancy Allspot Jackson will be here, plus some in the news, some of it that's going to make the top of your head come off. All right. Uh, well, we're, we're, you know, Ileana Vincent, heal yourself. It's all going to be okay. Uh, I, you're all amazing and I love you. And I am going to read your comments uh, uh, and try to respond to them. Uh, but we're going to go off the air here. Much love to all of you. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.